Bible, if you would please, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. We're back on uh, the Beatitudes that we moved from Sunday morning to the Sunday evening uh, as we pick up our theme for the new year on Sunday morning, Matthew, chapter number 5. Let me encourage you to pray for some of our folks who, we're not going to read responsibly, I just, I'll, if you can leave your Bible open to that. Uh, Brother Paul, E. Hart, and Nancy were out today with sick. I want you to continue to pray for Jim Nichols. Uh, Preston is homesick tonight. I want you to pray for him, as is Loretta, uh, and several of our folks that have been. I just, you're thinking that this is the time of the year that the flu bug kind of and the sickness kind of leaves us, but we still got some folks that it's lingering, and you will remember these folks in prayer, if you would please. Matthew chapter number five, we'll have the special music and then the preaching tonight. Too far. 
Take your Bible now, Matthew chapter number 5. This is more of a Bible study than it is preaching tonight. I pray that you use your Bible and follow along. Look at verse number 9. We've studied each and every of the Beatitudes, and may I remind you that the Lord tells us this is not psychology from the pulpit. This is the Word of God being bound to our lives, and God is telling us here where happiness and fulfillment in life comes from. And so I, I have no ground or authority to stand on other than the Word of God. But what authority and what grounds to stand on certainly it is. And we understand this, that Jesus primarily will never see all of this take place until we get to the millennial kingdom. Uh, but if you look at Matthew chapter number 5, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We looked at that. Uh, we said this, to allow your heart to be broken before God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Understand your need for God. Number six, blessed are they who do hunt with hunger and thirst after rising, for they shall be filled. We spoke on that many weeks ago. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And tonight in verse number nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Father, help us in the service tonight. I pray that your word... Uh, might have free course and be glorified. I pray for your spirit to lead us again. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us as a child of God and a son of God to have the ability and desire in the relationships around us and in our life to desire uh, to be used of you uh, to be a peacemaker. Help us to understand what that means and what it looks like tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Into a world that is ugly. With violence and hate, Jesus sends us as his children to be peacemakers. Think about the news this week. If you are one of those that watch the news, how much violence this week. How much hatred this week is all around us. In that world and in that setting, Christ calls us to be peacemakers. So you say, we aren't given the choice of whether or not we would like to be peacemakers. We certainly aren't given the choice of what kind of world we, are, we have to live in. But I mean this, if we are salt and light, then we can and should make a difference in what Pueblo, Pueblo Colorado should be a better city to live in because Rocky Mountain Baptist Church is here and the other independent Baptist Church, the other churches. I want to show you, first of all, the misconceptions of a peacemaker. So let's understand what it is and what it is not. Let's first dispel the misconception of peacemakers. Peacemakers is not the absence of conflict. Sometimes you have to con have conflict to bring about peace. So we understand that. It is not the avoidance of strife. Never are we instructed to run from conflict. I said this to you Wednesday night, I think it was, or last Sunday night. We put a, a web address up on the screen, and we encouraged you to contact our city government, our state government. 
we encourage you to contact your legislators and let them know we are not for the sex ed bill that's coming through our, through our Congress. Now, they may not like that. It doesn't make any difference. The child of God is for with light and, st- and, and salt are supposed to stand. We are not called on to put our head in the sand, hoping that the conflict will one day come to an end and inevitably will have a good resolution to what is happening. The peace at any price mentality is far from biblical a biblical command. We have pacifists in America today, peace at any price. I'm going to say this to you. If you come from that greatest generation, we have a few men from that generation. That was not a peace at any price generation. In other words, just lay down your sword. And you think about that. Uh, I've discovered, and is this not true? that you can never make everyone happy all the time. You can't do it. So the person who glosses over problems, acting as if everything is all right, when it's not all right, is not a peacemaker. Do we have it down now? God is not telling us to be a pacifist. He's not telling us to avoid all conflict. There are some times, and I mean this honestly, our state is changing. Our country is changing. And watch this, the crosshairs of humanism and and moral relativism have got the Christian, the child of God, right in their crosshairs. And there's going to be some time that we can and must stand. Look at the meaning of peacemakers. So what did Jesus mean when he was saying, blessed are the peacemakers? A working definition of peacemaker is someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another. As pastor, I want to as much as I can to be a peacemaker. Sometimes in marriage counseling, I try, and this is my heart, God, would you use me somehow through what is said in the counseling to get these two warring parties back together? I go into a counseling session with that idea. We can see this. The word is compromise, the word peace, uh, and maker. So watch this. The Hebrew word is the word shalom. Oftentimes today, even when you see Jewish people meet each other, they greet like you and I would greet one another, good morning or hello or good evening. The Jewish people would say shalom. And mean, what it means is they're wishing you health and prosperity, harmony and wholeness. They're wishing you liberation from anything that hinders you where you do not experience peace. It's a pleasant greeting. When a Jew says shalom, they're wishing you on one another the full presence and peace and prosperity of the blessedness of God. I'm going to quote for you Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. Here in the Old Testament, Moses says to the people of God, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee uh, and be gracious unto thee. The Lord uh, lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Shalom. In other words, I want the peace of God on people. I want the peace of God on you and I want it on my life. It's important to remember that the peace in the Bible is always based on justice and righteousness. When there is an absence of justice and righteousness, we can have no peace. That's why there will never be peace on this earth until Jesus comes again and sets up his millennial kingdom. 
some of you, now I'm dating myself. You remember when President Carter wanted peace between the Palestinians and the Jews? So he invited Menachem Begin and the PLO leader to Camp David. You remember those times? And they stayed there till they supposedly hammered out a peace agreement. Did it bring peace? No. And let me tell you why. Because the PLO doesn't want peace. The Palestinians do not want peace. They don't want to coincide with the Jewish people in peace. They look at Jerusalem as belonging to them. They don't want the Golan Heights or the West Bank. They want it all. And so whenever there's an absence of, of, of justice and righteousness, it's impossible to bring peace. The word then, peacemaker, comes from the Greek word. It means to do or to make. It is a word bursting with energy. In other words, what the Lord is saying to us tonight is, you be a peacemaker. You make peace. And sometimes it might be in your own family. Sometimes it might be in this church where a lady would take the hand of a lady and another hand of another lady that are not at peace with each other and say, listen, let's work this out. That is of God. Peacemaking is divine work. That might be a man in the church that would know that there's two other men that are at odds with each other. And he grabs the two men together and say, listen, let's come together. Let's make this right. There should be no pride in the idea that I'm going to hold my ground and I'm going to tell them how the cow ate the cabbage and I'm just going to let it be. That is not of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. It mandates initiative and action. So Christ is calling us to have that attitude. Someone has to drag the combatants to the table. Why not you? Why not me? And can I say this to you in your marriage? If your marriage is suffering, why not you be the one that is the peacemaker in that marriage? Well, preacher, he did me wrong. Or preacher, she did me wrong. Okay. We are not, we don't go into counseling to see who is the one at fault with us. Now, listen, we'll bring the things out on the table. We'll understand, man, men, do you understand what is important to your wife? And have you been doing these things? And the scriptures tell us to love our wives, men to love our wife as Christ loved the church. Men, are you doing? Here's what biblical love looks like. But I'm saying this to you. I think sometimes we as independent, fundamental Baptists believe that, you know what? That I'm just going to hold my ground. I'm right here. And I'm going to make my wife crawl back to this position or my husband crawl back to this position. This word, blessed are the peacemakers, it takes initiative. He's saying, I want you to do it. I want you to make it happen. Now, what does that look like? He does not say, I want you to notice Christ is not imploring us, would you like to be a peacemaker? Jesus did not say, blessed are the peace wishers. He did not say, blessed are the peace hopers. Blessed are the peace dreamers, the peace lovers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. 
And that word simply means I want you to do to make it happen. A peacemaker is never passive. I'm going to make a, some statements here, and I want you to follow me. So when these two words are taken together, peace and maker, it describes one who is actively, actively pursuing peace. I asked you ladies that are presently married, is married, is that you? In your marriage, are you seeking peace? Because if you're not, you should be. I asked you men, in your marriage, if your marriage is not what it should be, are you seeking peace or are you not? Because if you're not, you should be. You say, preacher, I didn't come so that you could let me. I'm just saying, this is what the Bible says tonight. Blessed are the peacemakers, and I'm going to say this to you, the person that is holding their ground in a relationship that needs some help is not the happy person. The person that lets go of their way and tries to make peace is the one that the Lord said, I will bless you with happiness and fulfillment. The peacemaker pursues more than anything the absence of conflict. They don't avoid strife, and sometimes peacemaking will cause strife. It's painful sometimes. I would never and could never do this. I would hope, and I'm going to say this to you, if pastor ever as a counselor, if I ever counsel you in any matter, and that ever becomes public, you'll never and you should never come back to pastor for counseling. Private matters should be kept privately. I wish I could erase the names and the faces and I could show you some of the hard work that takes place in a pastor's study when we are trying to get two warring parties back together. It's messy work. It's hard work, but it's divine work. So we understand what it is not. We understand a little bit of what it is. William Barclay said this, these are people who produce right relationships in every sphere of life. I want to show you tonight the model peacemaker, the model. Peacemaking, we said this is divine work. God is the author of peace. Let me show you the work of Jesus Christ. Is Jesus God? Yes, yes he's God. I don't care what the cults say. Jesus is God. We looked at this some weeks before, the things that only God can do. Did Jesus create? Yes, John 1, 1. He's God, only God can create. Did Jesus forgive sin? Yes, only God can forgive sin. Jesus is God. Now watch this. Jesus came to establish peace. His message explained peace. Read the Gospels. Read the writings of the Lord Jesus Christ. They explain peace. But he didn't end there. His death purchased peace. I'm going to say this to you. Those that, that do not. Here's what Jesus did. There's a gulf between man, sinful man, and a holy God. And Jesus came and he spanned that gulf. And as the apostle Paul said, be ye reconciled to God. And through Jesus Christ, his death uh, purchased peace and his resurrection, his resurrected presence enables peace. There is no excuse. I want you to turn with me Isaiah chapter 9. There is no excuse why any of us as a child of God should not delve in to this messy and necessary work of peacemaking. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. You know this is a prophetic verse speaking of the birth of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 6. For unto us a child is born, unto you a son is given, 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Who is it speaking of? Jesus. The mighty God. There you go again. Jesus is God. The everlasting Father. Now watch this. Many titles are speak of Jesus, but watch this one. The Prince of Peace. His message was a message of peace. His death enabled us to have peace. And His resurrection gives us the ability to be peacemakers. There is no reason that we have that we can give honestly where we would say, I cannot make peace. Before Christ ascended after His resurrection. In Luke chapter number 2, He says this, Peace I leave, John 14, I'm sorry, Peace I leave with you, not as the world giveth Give I unto you, let your heart not be troubled. Can I say this to you? Now, I'm gonna, I want to help you today. As I was going through and getting this ready, message ready for tonight, I ask you this. Right now, child of God, is your heart troubled about any matter? Because it's not supposed to be. He didn't come so you could have a troubled heart. He came so we could have peace. The next verse after that, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He is the Prince of Peace, came that we might not have a troubled heart or spirit. The life of Jesus was saturated with his mission to bring peace. He paid an enormous price for us to experience that peace. Now, I want you to turn to the New Testament, the book of Colossians. Nearly to the back of the New, of the New Testament, you'll find it's kind of uh, hard uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians, look at Colossians chapter number 1. Read together, we'll look at this, verse number 20. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in, in earth or things in heaven. That is why we cannot have peace of God without and going around the Lord Jesus Christ. The way to peace of God in your life and mine is through Jesus Christ. And he made that peace through his work on Calvary's cross. Jesus saw the gravity of our problem. He refused to sweep it under the rug or stick his head in the sand. He desired to do something about peace. Now, let's get down to the nuts and bolts. What about the method of peacemaking? What does this look like? How can I be involved? I said this to you, and I give you a warning. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's not pretty. And oftentimes, it's messy. I told our class today about a young man that God laid on my heart when I first moved to Pueblo. I worked with him for a while. He was an employee of my dad's. And I just became burdened for him. I didn't know his condition. I just became burdened. Every day when I worked with him, I became burdened. And I said, Lord, would you use me somehow in this young man's life? But the more I, I tried to talk to him, the more I could tell he was holding me out. And one day he, here's peacemaking. One day he snapped at me. He said, I don't want you to talk to me about Jesus. You don't understand what I've been through. Okay. Tell me. He said, don't tell me about a God that loves me. 
Don't tell me about a God that you say uh, wants me uh, to accept him as Savior. Don't tell me about that God. He said, when I was a 12-year-old boy, when my mom was an alcoholic and she crashed her car a block from my house and I rode my bicycle over there and that car was bursting with flames and I heard the cries of my mother inside that car to help me, please help me. Those old cars had solid metal handles and that young man burned his hands trying to get his mama out of that car. Don't tell me about a God that loves me. Peacemaking's messy. That young man, God loved that young man. And my job was somehow to grab the hand of God and grab the hand of this young man and say, listen, you do no good to be angry at God. Why don't you be reconciled to him? I told him, I said, listen, don't get mad at me. Why aren't you mad at the devil that put the bottle in your mama's hand? Why aren't you mad at the devil who caused your mama to be an alcoholic? Why aren't you mad at the devil? Who you ought to be mad at is at the devil and not God. God would love, God love you, mama, and God loves you. I'm going to say this to you. Peacemaking oftentimes is messy. You say, preacher, well, what does it look like? Benjamin Franklin wrote to John Adams and he said this, Blessed are the peacemakers. I suppose that's for another world. In this world, they're frequently cursed. You're not blessed. Unfortunately, when you read the words of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers, we smile and say, oh, that's nice. And the Lord is saying, this is inactive. The Greek words here is, I want you to be a peacemaker. I want you to be involved. I want you to be that one not to stand your ground. I want you to be the one, if it's in a marriage, in a child relationship, a church relationship, God, would you give me the ability and understanding to be that peacemaker? That's the heart of God. That's what he's calling us to tonight. So what does it look like? The work is risky and sometimes you fail. Sometimes a person gets mad at you. Sometimes you get bruised. And sometimes you don't make it across the stream. And let's be honest, sometimes it doesn't work. I wish I could tell you that every couple I counseled stayed together or got back together. Sometimes it doesn't work. But you tried. And you were obedient. And God uses that obedience. In Romans chapter 12... Matter of fact, turn there with me. Go to Romans chapter number 12. Here is the heart of God concerning peacemaking. Romans chapter number 12. And look at verse number 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Sometimes it's not possible. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we have some real bears. You say, ladies, don't point to your husband. <laughs> All right. Sometimes we have some real bears. Sometimes it's not possible. Aren't you glad that he said, if it be possible, as much as it's possible? There are some cantankerous types who just go through life picking fights. You know anybody like that? I just love to pick a fight. You can't make peace with them if you wanted to. They're not interested in peace. They just want to pick a fight. 
So what's it look like? Look at 1 Corinthians 7. Follow me, you're in Romans. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. The hallmark of a Christian's, a Christian is the ability to get along with other people. Don't pride yourself in how you can't get along with someone else. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and look at verse number 15. Look at what it says here. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to... Is that you? That's you. That's me. That means we don't have to agree with everything, but we should have the heart. Now, what steps can I employ? How do I do that, preacher? Let's give some simple things. Ten minutes and I'll be finished. Number one, talk to God about it before you approach the person. Talk to God about it. All right? God knows the hearts. We don't know the heart. Talk to God about it before you approach that person. Ask God for wisdom. James 1, 5 said, If we ask of God, He will give us wisdom to all men who lack. He giveth to us liberally. It is crucial to talk to the Lord about what I've done in a marriage relationship before you talk to your spouse. Talk to God first about what you've done and how to make it right in your marriage. About somebody in the church. Somebody said it this way. Is this not true? The Lord helps me see the deeper needs in any relationship and what has caused the problem when I pray to Him about it. He calls us to see the deeper needs. He also shows me what my part is and often what my words. And even if that person, the other person is 95% wrong, I am willing to pray and ask God to help me. So first thing we're going to do, is talk to the Lord about it before I approach that person. Number two, you be the person, person to take the first step. Take the first step. This is so vital. Jesus is clear on the action he wants us to take. Look at Matthew 5. Go back there, would you please? We're not going to turn to the same verses. Matthew chapter number 5. Look at verse number 23 and 24. Matthew 5. 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remembers that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Let me give you a practical thing what this looks like. I remember one time my pastor preaching on these verses, and he said, I want to tell you when this happened in my life. Some 40 to 50 years ago, a tonsillectomy, simple tonsillectomy, required a hospital stay. He and his wife took their oldest daughter to the hospital to get her tonsils removed. As soon as the surgeon made the first incision, she began to hemorrhage. They didn't know that she was a hemophiliac. She was a bleeder. So the surgeon looked at the pastor and he said, Reverend, if you can pray, you better pray now. Your daughter is dying. I ask you this, how would you pray if your son or daughter was dying? 
how diligent. If you bring your gift to the altar, if you find your place in that hospital chapel, if you get down on your knees before God and you say, God, spare the life of my daughter. God, spare my son. God, bring my marriage back together. God, help me to be used in church to bring these warring factions together. I want to do this. God, I want to be a peacemaker. And God says to you, just like he did our pastor, get up off your knees. And a, a, a man came to his mind of a former church that he left, a deacon that he and the pastor got into a tiff with. He said, you make it right with that man, and then you come and bring your gift to the altar. Preacher did the right thing. He said, God, I hear you. He said, Lord, I will make it right with that man. I saw as I was in college, I saw, I saw our pastor. This was just a farmer. He was a, he was a hard-working man. By this time, he was up in age. I saw our pastor bring that deacon. Nobody knew who he was. We didn't know the story. None of us knew or from the former church where he pastored. But our pastor wanted to teach us a lesson. He brought that man up. He put him on the platform. He put his arm around him, and he said to my church family, I want you to know for many years, myself and this man have been at odds with each other, and God has made it right. This man was a hard-working farmer, and they'd worked diligently. They, did, they lived very meagerly. Their pastor had the ability to do this. He said, listen, I want to send you and your wife to Hawaii. I'm going to look for you if I'm upset with you after church. I want to make it right with you so you can send. <laughs> Gave him some money, sent him to Hawaii. I'm going to say this to you. This is messy work. You might have to take the first step. You might have to write a letter. You may have to make a phone call. You may have to go to somebody. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk to God about it before we talk to the person, ask for God for wisdom. We're going to be the first person to take the first step. Number three, we're going to tell the other person how you feel. Now, say it with me. In Proverbs 15.1, the Bible says, Solomon says, soft, what's it say? Soft answer turneth away. So that means this. So say the hard things in a low voice. Does that mean? No. You don't say to your mate, I really don't like you. <laughs> you don't say to your mate, your meals stink. But say it in a soft voice. That means, that word soft means grievous words. Word you know. Ladies, you know what buttons to push that'll set your husband off. Quit pushing them. Men, you know what buttons you push, what words you use that set your wife off. Quit using those words. Do you know this by nature? Am I telling you the truth? Do you know, and ladies, I, I love you, each and every one of you. In the Lord, I love you. This is just how God made us. We're different. Or different. Do you know a little girl on average, when she's ready to speak, will say anywhere from 1,200 to 1,500 words a day? That's why they called the little doll Chatty Cathy. <laughs> Not you, sweetheart. Not you. <laughs> oh. oh, boy, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> All right. 
just na- it's just natural. We men, you know what? All day. Is there any of you men? Ladies, help me with this. I want you to raise your hand if this happens to you, or not frequently, but it'll happen to you. All day you've been away from your husband. He comes home, and you want to know about his day. How'd your day go? And he says, fine. How many ladies like that? Two words, fine. Good. See, we can wrap it all up in one word or two. And you feel let down. God made you where conversation is important to you. Now watch that. And possibly, men, God gives us a word in the New Testament that talks about the words we use with our wife. And it says we are to love her and cherish. I kid you not. Look it up. It's talking about delicate like rice paper. How would you walk? How would you use rice paper to keep it from bending or breaking? You use, and men, I'm telling you this. We took this in marriage seminar for a long time. Men were like waffles. Some of you look like waffles. (laughs) We're like waffles. You know what a waffle has all those little compartments. Sometimes Kathy makes homemade waffles. Ours are round, not square. And she puts blueberries on them. Oh. You know what I almost always do? Put a blueberry in every square. Move those blueberries over to their square. You know, each square has a blueberry. Ladies, this is your husband. We can compartmentalize our lives. And each square of our life doesn't have to touch. Here's our work box. Here's our love box. Here's our, here's our leisure box. All of these boxes, and they never have to touch. We're like waffles. Men, our lady, our wives are like spaghetti. It's all connected. It is all connected. She can bring up something from 1942. In 1942, you said, oh, no, you don't remember that, do you? Yes, she does. Be careful. So what are we saying? Let's go very quickly. Tell the other person how you feel. Empathize with their feelings. Consider the situation. This is so important. Attack the problem, not the person. Say it with me. Attack the problem, not the person. One more time. Attack the problem, not the person. Don't make this personal. Be careful with words like this. You always or you never. Be careful. Number four, stop talking about people, and I know this hurts, who have hurt you. I can't, I can't go on with the message halfway uh, I can't go on with the rest of the message, but I'm going to say it to you. I want you to raise your hand if you've been hurt before. It hurts to be hurt, doesn't it? Can I get a little thing off my chest so you'll understand this? Do you know I love you? And if you leave this church and go to another church, do you know I still love you? If you can't stand Pastor, you can't stand Miss Rogers, you don't like Josh or, or Stephen or Beck or Rachel, do you know I still love you? 
I mean that. This is not Christianity. Because you leave this church, I can't talk to you. This happened this week. It happens most weeks. A precious family that grew up in this church. We loved them. For over 10 years, I pastored them. I walked into a place of business, and the young lady now is 19 years old or thereabouts. When she saw me, she ran. That hurts. I wish Mama and Daddy knew that I prayed for them just a day or two before that. I wish they knew, Pastor, never stops loving you. Can I say this to you? That's not Christianity. I want you to stay in the church, but I'll not stop loving you. I told somebody recently, I told, I think, our deacons as we had a meeting this week. We mentioned a precious family used to be a part of this church, and I told them as men, I want you to understand how Pastor feels. If I hear one of them is sick or involved in an accident, I promise you this, I'll beat their pastor to the hospital. And I don't pastor them anymore. I don't know where that Christianity comes from, that if you're not a part of this ministry, we don't love you anymore. That doesn't happen. So sometimes we have to understand, tell them how we feel, we attack the problem, not the person. Nothing disqualifies us in being peacemakers more than talking about people. Quit gossiping about people in this church. Ladies, quit talking about other ladies in this church. Men, quit talking about other men in this church. Nothing disqualifies us more from being a peacemaker than talking about other people. And let me say this to you. I don't know who, if anybody's talking about anybody. I just know church and I know people. I'd say this to you, and we are halfway through the message. We're going to close for tonight. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? The children of God. The sons of God. Do you know that there's a difference, Mary, you said it, in a child of God and a son of God? A child of God simply means you've made, you have a relationship with him. You've been saved. A son of God means you act like him. Jesus came to this world to bring us peace. His message shows us the how of peace. His death gives us the ability to have peace. And his resurrection gives each and every one of us the power to be a peacemaker. I promise you this week, think about right now, somebody in your life that you're at odds with. Will you let God use you this week to try to heal that relationship? What are we going to do? We're going to pray about it before we ever go to them. We're going to take the first initiative. We're going to talk about the problem. We're going to attack the problem, not the person. And then we're going to lay it at Jesus' feet. Stand, please, Father. Help.